Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Board Games Now is episode 165, the top 10 games that need an expansion. We'd like to thank Antoine, William, and Michael for being our new Patreon backers on Team BGA. You guys rock. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast for board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Anthony, how is your board game going, my friend? It's going, it's going. Uh, it's been sunny here. I've been feeling guilty going outside. Spring finally arrived. <laughs> You know, as a good board gamer, the sunnier it gets, the more you should stay inside and play board games. And most recently, board gamers knew most about this this past weekend when PAX East hit Boston. From what I hear, it was a great time. We weren't there personally, but we do have some news about some of the digital releases that came up at PAX East. Yeah, for sure. So much good stuff coming out. I think the top of the list, at least for me, is Terraforming Mars, which is very close to an imminent beta on Steam. So we were actually able to get early uh, codes for that from Asmodee Digital. So I had a chance to play Terraforming Mars, even though we weren't there. I had a chance to play it at home on the desktop. Aww. Um, I know. <laughs> it's okay. It's cozier here. The demo of this, which is like pre-alpha beta, is it's just the standard mode. So easy mode. Basically, you start with one of everything. And it's the one-on-one AI um, against the hard AI. So don't get to try out all the different AIs and see how they scale. Don't get to try the full game. But get a good sense at least of what it looks like it is terraforming mars but in terms of graphic design it's been completely overhauled 
uh, looks a million times better uh, to the point it's almost jarring um, because there's so much going on on the screen. There's animations like you throw an ocean down. It's like burbling on the screen. The planets are moving. A lot of stuff going on on the screen. I mean, relatively speaking, for a board game, there's a lot of stuff going on on the screen. And then in terms of the game itself, I mean, the UI and the interface definitely feels like it was designed for a tablet. There's almost nothing on screen. Everything's in this tiny bar at the bottom, um, which is fine for your resources. You can see all those. You don't need this big tray in front of you. But for your cards and your tags and everything, that all gets kind of shrunken down into the tray. So you have to click on everything to actually see how many tags you have, see which cards you have out, see which actions you're able to take. It takes a little getting used to because this is a Tableau Builder where you're used to having all those cards in front of you. Um, and now they're kind of hidden away. Not sure how I feel about that. And then at least in this version of the game, I'm not sure if it's something that'll change. You can't see what your opponent is playing. Similarly, like you can't see what cards they have out. So it's difficult to kind of just level set and know where you're at against them or, hey, they just raised the temperature three steps. How? What did they do? You know, <laughs> feels important. I guess in theory, it's not important, but it feels important and I want to know. So <laughs> I like it because of how good it looks and because it feels like you can play a game of this, you know, pretty quick. I can't tell if it has the actual solo rules in it, which will be important for me because this is one of my favorite solo games. And if I'm going to play it by myself, that's how I'm going to play it. Uh, but baseline here is interesting. I definitely think it's something I would play on the iPad just based on the interface to feel like there's a lot of wasted screen space on the Steam. But again, it's a beta, so uh, cautiously optimistic right now. Yeah, it's a very slick presentation. I really enjoy actually seeing Mars out in space and you have the moons and it's just very, very slick, very nice, very you know, type presentation. That being said, as a board gamer, the way I play Terraforming Mars is a tableau of cards. That's really what gets me going, being able to see everything that I'm building. The board's important, but it's secondary to my machine that's kind of being put together. This was a beta, and as you said, as far as transferring this platform to either iPads, Androids, or other different devices, they're right on spot. So hopefully we'll get to see more of this nice presentation. And there were several other presentations, especially from Asmodee Digital. Scythe was presented at PAX East. Once again, beautiful presentation. Here the map is a lot more important as far as what resources you're drawing and where your troop movement is and where your opponent happens to be. That's in production. That will be out quite soon. And there was also a big topic amongst Anthony and I. There's also Lord of the Rings LCG which has a very Hearthstone look, wouldn't you say, Anthony? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like everything has a Hearthstone look these days. But for a game that has been established now for, what, six years and has all this content, I do find it interesting that they're, they haven't gone back to the drawing board per se, but they're remixing a lot of this game. You know, the presentation, the design, the layout, some of the rules. No, I haven't played it, so I don't know if that's good or bad. We'll see. But I love, love, love this game. And so if they change it significantly enough, even if they move it in the Hearthstone direction, which is a game I love as well, and having a solo version of that would be amazing, I don't know how much I can invest in it, at least monetarily, because I've already invested a lot in the card game. But if it's similar enough to the card game and then they've hearthstoned it up a little to make it a little quicker or to throw in some more RNG type of stuff that you can't do in a card game, I'm okay with that. But I definitely am excited to get my hands on this. 
Yeah, speaking about Hearthstone-like or just basically Hearthstone with a kind of theme kind of pasted over it, Star Trek Adversaries, which is also another brand new digital game in which, once again, you're playing Hearthstone. So you have your base character or here your base ship has a base number of hit points. You are playing other ships out to the space or the field. And then instead of playing spells like you do in Hearthstone, you actually play crew that go on the ships and give it a one-time bonus or an ongoing bonus, depending on what particular crew member it happens to be. This is all Hearthstone, so if you know anything about that, you know this game completely, it is dripping with theme. I mean, every card, every button you click has some Star Trek element to it, some character saying a certain line, some certain sound effect. As a huge Trekkie myself, I love this, and then I was like, whoa, this is maybe a little too much because I can't move two inches without hearing something again and again and again. But once again, this is also an early beta format to this, and it'll be out soon. So if you love Star Trek like I do, Star Trek Adversaries is free to play right now, so you can jump on and check that out. And we should also mention pretty quickly, we got a chance to see Evolution, the digital version, last year at Gen Con 2017. And we enjoyed that. Once again, it had a kind of slimmed down presentation. And also at showing at PAX East 2018 was Sentinels of Freedom, which is based on the Sentinels of the Multiverse comic book. And that's always fun because Anthony and I are big Sentinels of the Multiverse fans. Yeah, well, one of us is. <laughs> okay, well, that, that would be me then. <laughs> I just think it's because, okay. <laughs> just because I wanted to collect all the things, all yeah, the things. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's definitely designed for comic book fans. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we want to talk a little bit about how you can get in touch with us. You know about all our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. But we also wanted to bring you an update on our Patreon account. Last week, we announced that we we're going to start doing ongoing contests for our Patreon backers. So at a very low level, you'll be able to have a chance to win a game each and every week. Now, while we haven't met that level yet, we are starting the contest anyway, because once again, it's the insane t fun that we have on the podcast together. So at the end of April, 2018, we are going just giving away a game based on one of our Patreon backers at the, at the producer level. So if you haven't jumped on yet, jump on now to get a chance to win a board game because we love board games. Yes, yes. Yeah, we didn't want to wait all the way until we got to the threshold where we could actually afford to do this every week. So <laughs> we, got, we got more excited than I guess everybody else got yet. And so we're like, we're going to do it anyways. So if you haven't jumped on yet, make sure you do before we have that contest. There's not a huge number of people on there yet, so you have a pretty good chance. Just saying. Yeah, 100% of the money that we get for this goes right into the board game contest. But please do this soon so that we still have enough money to run a podcast. That would yeah. also be good. <laughs> that's also important, yeah. All right, Anthony. We talked about everything that's going on with us. What's going on with everybody else? What's our question of the week? All righty, guys. Question of the week this week. What game would you consider buying a giant version of? We got convention season coming up real soon. It actually kind of started already with PAX East, like we just talked about. And if you go to conventions a lot, you know that... Some of these companies love to bring out their giant versions. Mayfair in particular, or I guess Asmodee now, maybe we'll pick those up. King of Tokyo from Yellow. You see these everywhere, and it's fun. So which other games would you like to see a giant version of? 
So you guys gave a ton of answers. I guess that people really like their giant board games. Andrew mentioned Santorini, and then Jenny threw in, yeah, this one would be cool real size. You being the builders in, in teams of two and hopping up and down. Lars mentioned Fireball Island with real people climbing all over the <laughs> obstacle course board. Uh, and having just seen the prototype of this um, at a local event here in Pittsburgh, um, it's already kind of big. So I don't know how big this would be. Uh, need a whole street for it. Uh, Jason mentions Cthulhu Wars. And by giant, I mean like Hogwarts chess giant. Several different people mentioned the Tiny Epic series. And <laughs> Willie mentions, if you make a giant version of a tiny game, they cancel each other out and you get a normal sized game. There you so, go. Uh, I think a lot of people would actually pay for that. And I know we talked to that to these guys a little while back and they said, we're never going to do that, but <laughs> just saying, there's an audience for normal size versions of these games. <laughs> Tumbling Dice, Jay and his friends at their local FLGS, uh, they made a tailgate version, which is about the size of a car um, of Tumbling Dice, which seems pretty cool. And several other people mentioned some interesting ones. You have Junk Art, imagine some stepladders being used to stack and balance pieces, Burgle Brothers in an actual high-rise doll's house, Giant Twister, I'm not sure what you do there, get Pogo Stick or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Scythe, which I feel like you would just, yeah, you'd need like a segue to move around the board if you get sure. a bigger one than the Collector's Edition board. But yeah, I mean, I love Giant Edition stuff. I don't have room for any of it, so... You know, if I pull out my supersized board for Scythe or for War of the Ring, you're almost going to have to put it on the floor. So I'm not sure how much of a giant version I would want. Although I would like that giant version of junk art that floats around uh, at the conventions. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. I probably would like to see a giant version of Spirit Island just based on the fact that the miniatures is so great and the island powers, how they work together, especially as a co-op. Sometimes it's hard to visualize what you're doing together as a team. So having those explorers, those, those towns and cities kind of pile up on the map to show really the islands being crowded and corrupted and you have to come in there and knock it out. Maybe use a giant kind of push broom to move out some of that stuff. <laughs> would be a lot of fun. Yeah, that'd be great. All right, so that's everything for our question of the week. Now on to our acquisition disorders. So Anthony, what are you thinking about getting that may or may not be gigantic? Ah, it's not gigantic, but it could be, I suppose. This is the new game from Simply Complex, which is the kind of quick, heavy filler. I'm not really sure how they're describing this line of games from Capstone Games. So this is what The Climbers was released under, and this is The Estates, which is a re-implementation of Neu Heimat, which I'm probably saying wrong. Uh, my German is a little rusty <laughs> in that it never existed. But designer Klaus Zuck, and it is a game about building a city. So players will take different cubes and they're trying to complete different rows and columns and build up a city over the course of about 40 minutes. So the game is fairly quick. The interesting part of this game and the reason why I'm like, I want to try it before I buy it is that it has an auction and bidding mechanic. You will be bidding against other players to get different pieces that you will then use to personally help build out this city and in a central board. So I'm not really sure how that plays out. I think Chris, you mentioned it sounded a little like a choir. Um, it does kind of have a little bit of yeah. that feel to it in terms of like competing for that space and mm -hmm. you know how you bid it it is a little bit quicker and it's a little more tactile till you look at these big meaty cubes it's got cards in it i don't know i i would like to see it it's probably one that i'll be able to see over the summer at the various conventions capstone always has this kind of stuff set up for people to take a look at i will give it a go i'm very interested i love city builders in general and i like um kind of this economic area control 
component. Not a huge area control person, but this type of game, I like it. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how this one plays out. Uh, I have yet to play a game I don't like from Capstone. Hopefully the streak continues. So a game that I'm looking forward to getting coming out pretty soon is Kick-Ass the Board Game. This will probably be out probably around Gen Con 2018. Now, Kick-Ass, you probably know from its two movies, that's a satirical, dark comedy take on superheroes in which reality actually plays a real role. Now, this game, is, since it's from Seamont, has fantastic miniatures, and it's all about protecting New York City from all the bad guys that are out there, but it's not a typical Amerithrash game. There's also a lot of Eurogame elements in this game as well. So you are building up your character, equipping your character, you are using cards, using decks, using special abilities, and you're adding a lot more to this game. So it's not like a typical Amerithrash game since it has the Euro elements. This Eric Lang was talking about this a little bit. You can kind of see a little bit of Gloomhaven influence here. It's not Gloomhaven, the board game here, but there's a lot of influence here in this game. And personally, I do like this kind of take on superheroes. This is more of the comic book version. So all of the artwork and all of the story comes from the comic book, not from the movie. So expect a, a much darker type of theming in this game. Looks really fun, looks interesting. It's from Simon Games. Once again, great production. If you're a big fan of Kick-Ass, you might want to check out their board game. Yeah, it's interesting. Like they did this last year too with The Godfather where they just kind of dropped a licensed game on us in the middle of the summer um, outside of their usual release pattern. And it was good. The Godfather yeah. was good, but it was, that came out of nowhere. Nobody really heard much about it before it came out. Yeah, this looks a lot like Godfather as well. All right. So that's everything for Acquisition Disorders. Now to our At the Table with BGA. So for At the Table, we're going to tell you which games you should buy right away, which games you should sit down and play, which games you should dodge right away, and if that occasion does come, burn the game because it's just not worth your time. All right, Anthony. So what do you have for us this week? Okie dokie, I got a uh, new one from Plat Hat Games that just released towards the end of last year, beginning of this year, and that is Stuffed Fables. This is the new game from Jerry Hawthorne of Mice and Mystics fame. Um, this is the game that built Plat Hat into a company worth buying <laughs> for all the, for that kind of got them where they are. And this new version of the game, it's not necessarily a sequel to Mice and Mystics, but it has a lot of the same elements. So you have cute little characters, they're moving around, it's kind of dungeon crawly. But the mechanics have been overhauled a decent bit. The core mechanism of this game is the adventure book. It is this unique storybook that has both the maps for the game as well as the instructions and the story. Uh, it's about 100 pages long. It's really big. And when you first open the box, you instantly know why it costs as much as it does because this book is big. It's meaty. It's very high quality production, very glossy, nice pictures in it. it it's solid. You put it down on the table, you flip it open. On the left, you have the map. On the right, you have the instructions as well as the story for that particular part of the overall story. And you will play the game right on the book. So what this does is it makes it so you can have dozens of maps built into the game without necessarily having to print dozens of tiles. So it's kind of a limitation in Mice and Mystics. There's only so many different permutations you could put out of different locations. Really, it's the same for any dungeon crawl. So that's right away, that's cool. Secondly, they've overhauled like the dice mechanics. So you have, rather than just rolling the same dice every time and applying them differently, depending on what you're trying to do, you have a bag full of dice and on your turn, you draw five of them. If you draw white dice, it lets you heal up basically, if you're injured enough, whatever the face on the die is when you roll it, if it's higher than your current health, you get more health, which is great. 
The black dice will activate the enemies. Uh, once you have enough black dice on this track off to the side, it will activate them at the end of that turn. So they don't necessarily activate in between everybody's turn, but it's also not set in stone when they're going to activate, like in Mice and Mystics, where you have that order of operations. And then the rest of the dice, you have red for doing attacks, green for ranged attacks, yellow for searching for stuff, and blue are kind of a, an oddball wild card, whereas purple is an actual wild. You have to use the dice a little more strategically. When are you going to move? How are you going to move? Sometimes you can well you can always move with any of these dice but certain areas you can only move to with certain kinds of dice and you can also save up some dice one by default sometimes more if you upgrade uh, and then use these for either doing cooler stuff later on or defending yourself against the enemies if you think they're about to activate which is important the cool thing about this game is that it because of the way the dice are different and because there are constant decisions to be made even when it's not your turn you can give dice to other people or you can give them health um, if you're nearby. So, you know, the kids in particular are never just sitting there bored waiting for their turn. They're always engaged. They're always doing something. The board, the map itself at any point in time is relatively small. So there's not this sprawling area that takes an hour and a half to explore again. So the kids don't get bored, even though you might have five pages in a particular adventure that you're doing the pages themselves are pretty short and every time you switch the page it's something unique and different and clever that kind of breaks the mechanics in a special way so as a game mechanically speaking it is better than mice and mystics i like mice and mystics it's fun it's a good introduction to dungeon crawling but this one has more stuff it's a little more strategic um, it's a little more active for the kids to stay involved the theme is interesting i mean the story is you have these stuffed animals whose owner, this little girl, has moved into a big kid bed for the first time, and so their job is to protect her from the darkness of the night uh, that the crib previously protected her from. So it's it's silly and kid-oriented, but there are a little bit darker things in there occasionally, which I find interesting. Like there's these <laughs> these stuffed animals who've had their hearts ripped out. Wow. Um, like the little miniatures, there's like a hole in their chest. And so at first, the kids are like, well, what is that? But they get over it pretty quick. I mean, it's still just stuffed animals. I like it. I think it's a fun game. I think it works really well for children in particular. I think if you have a group of people who liked playing Mice and Mystics, you know, grownups, um, they will also like this probably a little bit more because it has more going on. I don't think it's a kiddie story necessarily. So it's definitely worth checking out. It's, uh, for me at least, my family, it was an absolute buy. I don't regret it at all. We've played it a bunch. If you oh, don't have children or, you know, they were really not really struck by dungeon crawls or did maybe you tried Mice and Mystics and they weren't immediately enthralled by it, maybe give it a play first. But if you know that this type of storytelling is something that they'll enjoy, definitely check it out. So this definitely skews younger, right? I think so. I mean, in the same way that Mice and Mystics did. I mean, that's a game that, you know, people will argue about whether it's good or not. And I, I always say, like, it's a kid's game. I mean, yeah. it's, it's designed for children. It can be played by adults because there's enough of a game there. And that's why it's so good. Mm -hmm. But it's not designed for adults. And this game is kind of the same. I, I would say if, if you're the type of people who like sitting at, at, down and role playing and acting out the story and really getting involved in it in any kind of dungeon crawl, this is really clever. If they took this same adventure book mechanic and put it on a darker game, I think adults would love it. So mechanically speaking, sure, it's good for adults. Thematically, I think a lot of people might be turned off by it. All right, so a game that I got to play this week is a brand new one from Renegade Games. Anthony, do you know about the Catalonian tradition of human tower building? 
I do. There's board games about it. <laughs> I know. Whoever thought that would be a thing? Multiple board games about it. <laughs> I know. This is not even the first board game. So, Castell is a game from Renegade Games about the Catalonian tradition of human tower building. Now, that sounds ridiculous, and maybe it's fantastic. I haven't been there. I've seen some of these shots on TV, and it's amazing the athletic and strength potential of all these people to put together these huge towering structures of people well now you get to do that in a board game now don't lose me yet this game has really a lot to offer so what you're looking at here i guess not surprisingly enough is a little bit of an element of a tableau building in which you are trying to take these castiers and you're putting these people together in order to build a tower that meets a certain condition in a particular area that's having a festival so the way the board is set up is there are a whole line of different cities that are going to have these festivals, and below it, it has a certain number of particular people that are required to build this human tower. So what you do is you take your figure that, once again, is this really great miniature of a human tower, and then you move this tower all around the, the countryside in order to get to the city, hopefully have the right number of performers and the right type of performers in order to put on a show to score victory points, put a little tile on your own particular little map in which you're going to score more and more victory points based upon the, the number of cities that you collect by the end of the game. Now, the top cities are randomized each and every time. The type of performers that are required for that performance are randomized each and every time. So there's a lot of replayability in this game, as well as these kind of ongoing public goals that you can, you know, being able to achieve by creating certain types of towers, whether it's size or width or using special abilities. So there's a lot of ways to score victory points throughout this game. And probably what's the most interesting part of the game is not only you're trying to get to those certain cities at the right time with the right performers and build the right tower, but each of those cities are going to have a special ability or training that they can give you throughout the game if you are in that city and take that particular action. So while you're trying to build up, you're also trying to gain special abilities to be able to have the training and techniques that you need to gain the right abilities in order to build those particular towers. This is a really great Euro game, fantastic production, beautiful to look at, and it's really fun to actually move those characters around in order to build the different towers you need throughout the game. Now, those performers don't expend by performing. They come right back, and you can kind of create a different tower. Now, there are special conditions in which you have to meet in order to score the most victory points possible, meeting those public conditions. But you're going to score something throughout the game, so it's pretty much fun for everybody. Cassell comes with probably the best bag possible in which you put the performers in. Not needed. Maybe it adds a lot to the kind of high price point for this game. It's I think it's about $60 MSRP. But if you can pick it up for a good value, I recommend Castell as a buy. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with this. And I it's funny because I would have completely looked past it. I, I generally like Renegade games, but they're never like mind-blowing for me. They're yeah. a lot of plays. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. They're all like above average. And they're generally a little bit more expensive. So Definitely. when yeah. you said this is good, I was like, oh, cool. So I tracked it down and... Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, I love the. It's just a giant puzzle, right? Yeah. But a fairly thematic puzzle at that. So, I mean, I don't know how thematic it is. I don't know anything about tower building, human tower building, but <laughs> it seems very thematic. 
Well, maybe um, we'll maybe we'll add it to one of our Patreon backer levels so that the next convention will make a BGA team tower. Yeah, there you go. I mean, we would need enough backers to do that, right? So, <laughs> just make sure there's some, uh, you know, get some children in there for the top. <laughs> they look like children, right, on the ones and twos. There you go. Um, it definitely does. Uh, yeah, so I, I also like this a lot, so I agree. All right. So that's everything for At The Table. Now on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are talking about the top 10 games that need an expansion. Maybe you have some of these games in your collection that haven't gotten a lot of game time lately. You keep bringing it out, and then everyone keeps pushing it back. Maybe it just needs a refresher. Maybe it needs to fix a broken mechanic. Or maybe it just needs more of the same just to make it a lot more fun. So we're going to jump through the top 10 games that absolutely positively need an expansion. So to start off, our number 10, Photosynthesis. Now, Photosynthesis is something that Anthony and I love a great deal. It's so much fun to kind of plant these trees, place them out on the board, block other people's light, and score victory points by pulling up those trees. But after a while, it gets a little samey as far as just putting those trees out. Now, the production is great, and it looks like a lot of fun as far as the board state is concerned. But it would be really great if there was something additionally added to that game. Maybe woodland creatures that obviously use those trees for their home, or something as far as like watering those particular areas like in Takanoko. So there's a lot more to add to this game, and I really would like to see an expansion. That's our number 10, Photosynthesis. All righty. So number nine on the list is Civilization A New Dawn. This one's cheating a little bit, only because I'm fairly certain it will happen at some point. But this is a game released by Fantasy Flight Games that I really, really like. Uh, it is a streamlined, quicker, more accessible uh, take on the Civilization formula in a board game. You can play it in an hour and a half, and it I have a lot of fun with it. It's not a full-blown big civilization game, but sometimes you don't have time for that. The thing about this particular game, though, is it has a limited number of almost everything. They put a lot of mechanics in the game, but just a little bit of each of them. So I'd like to see more nations. I'd like to see more wonders. I'd like to see more technologies to build up those tech trees. Um, I'd like to see more units you can put on the board. Just more stuff, I know. And I think by adding more stuff, by giving more variety, maybe more tiles or more... Um, even just a different mechanism in there for scoring, you'd have a lot more replayability from this game. As it is, I've seen all the different scoring conditions, I've seen all the different wonders, I've seen all the techs, and I haven't played this game a ton of times. It's in danger of falling into that category of good games that I stop playing because they get played out, and I think a expansion in the next year or so would solve that. So that's Civilization A New Dawn at number nine. All right, so our number eight game that absolutely needs an expansion is Zulkin the Mayan Calendar. Now, I know what you're going to say. Zulkin already has an expansion, the Tribes, but that just adds a little asymmetrical gameplay. The game still kind of boils down to four different strategies for victory that are well-documented. So what I really would love to see in an expansion, and I'm not sure how mechanically this would happen, but if they could add another wheel to the already fantastic kind of wheel system which you're displacing workers so if you could add another wheel that would interact with the other wheels and really open up the strategy that would be a lot of fun that's our number eight game zulkin the mayan calendar okay number seven we have jump drive this is the baby brother of race for the galaxy um kind of a prequel of sorts single deck of cards small little box you can play the game in about a half an hour ramps up very fast and there's a lot fewer icons to learn because of that though the game always feels a little abrupt I enjoy it. It's a good filler. We've played this at cons while waiting in line. But if you speed up the game a little bit 
and add more content to it, you'd be able to get more people to the table. A lot of times people will say, oh, that was too quick, or I didn't really understand the strategy right away. And that's almost always true. So adding in just a couple more things, getting it just a little bit deeper without approaching that line where you have race for the galaxy, a roll for the galaxy would be great. So that's number seven, jump drive. All right, our number six game is Aura at Labora. Now, this is a game that I recently reviewed. It's another Uwe Rosenberg game about farming resources, using your tableau to build buildings. But it's the buildings that really fall apart because after you play the game a couple of times, you've seen all the buildings, you know where it's coming at each and every stage, and you can just build specifically for those buildings. And really, there's no variety there. There's no kind of like... Maybe this will come out, maybe this won't. It doesn't add any interesting tactical play to this. So I really would like to see more building in this game just to kind of like open up strategy so it's just not so focused and so on the rail. So that's our number six, Aura Labora. Alrighty, number five is Antique A2. This is a game from Matt Gertz with the good old-fashioned Rondell, big old wide map, and you're moving around, you're placing different markers so that you can generate resources and using those resources to generate victory points. I really, really enjoy this game for a couple of reasons. It's relatively quick, plays up to six seamlessly, and you, there's very little downtime in the game because of the nature of the rondelle. The problem with the game is that if you've played it a few times, especially in a short period of time, the board gets a little samey and it becomes, depending on your starting location, quicker and easier to know where to go, especially compared to new players. Other games like Concordia or Power Grid have solved this with new maps. And I think Antique A2 could definitely benefit from new maps, whether zooming in on specific locations or just going to different areas of the Mediterranean or the nearby, um, like Concordia did. There's a lot to explore here because the mechanics are very solid. It's a very interesting game. And I wish there was just a little bit more of it. That's number five, Antique A2. Number four is Glass Road. So basically everything I said for Oral Labora is also true about Glass Road. Another Uwe Rosenberg game, great game, all about building your tableau of all these different buildings in order to exchange resources for other resources. And yet again, it's the same buildings each and every time right up until the end. And if you haven't played the game before, you're going to kind of run into a wall because everybody else knows what you need to build at the end and you don't. So... If this game had some variety to it, had some different buildings to it, it would really open the game up a lot more. That's our number four game, Glass Road. All right, number three is First Class. This is the card game take on train building from Helmet Only, the uh, designer of Russian Railroads. And by itself, the game is fantastic. And there's a good variety in the box. You have multiple modules. You're only going to use a couple in any given game. Um, one of them in particular is very clever. It's like this murder mystery take. And that right there is the reason why I want to see more. Not only is there room in the box for more, they have this you know, plastic insert with a few extra slots for cards, but the, the way the game is built, it can take on those new mechanics. It can have something like a murder mystery. So why not like a train robbery or you know, they're traveling somewhere different or there's a famous person on board or who knows what else you could do with this. But the first class is a very solid system. It's a quick game. It's accessible. It's relatively easy to teach. And while it gets to the table plenty, I would like to see a little bit more variety as well um, with possibly an official solo mode would be great. That's number three, first class. Our number two game is Grand Austria Hotel. Now, this is a game all about running a hotel and cafe in which you're trying to take care of people and then place them in their rooms. The problem is that when you play this game, 
it really all comes down to employing employees that are really hard to come by. And if you do get them, it's kind of random what you are going to end up getting. And it may sink your game right from the start. So you got an employee that gave you 20 victory points as an end goal. I got an employee that gave me one piece of cake. Yeah. So <laughs> since there isn't any kind of build-up mechanic or stage mechanic to these cards, it's really going to radically swing this game. So Grand Austria Hotel needs a fix. That's our number two game. All righty. And number one, because I wrote this list, is <laughs> Spirium. What? Ah. <laughs> This is the game, the random game in my top 10 that people are like, well, where did that come from? That I love. This is one of my favorite games. It's this clever mix of um, worker placement with this kind of auction mechanic where you pay based on the number of workers surrounding a particular tile. And then you build out a tableau that generates points as well as resources in the form of Spirium. The game itself is supposed to be like this kind of steampunkish world, but really it's like they took 18th century, 19th century London and they replaced all the coal with little green gems and called it fantasy sci-fi. I think they could have leaned into that a lot more. I think you could do a lot of cool things with it. The, the other major issue that the game has, besides the theme being kind of pasted on, is that at the end of the game, the, the last rounds, you're using the same tiles every single time. There's only nine of them. They're exactly the same. And that really, really drags it down, especially if you're experienced in the game and other people aren't. You know exactly what's coming out. You know how much money to save. You know how to respond to it. There's no randomness here. And I think adding more of those, adding maybe one or two more mechanics to the engine building you know, component, putting something in this to make the game actually fairly functional at two players because it doesn't really work with two because of the way that you place things to bid up the prices would definitely definitely get this game to the table more and if i could get this game to the table more i'd be very happy so that's number one spirium all right well there goes our top 10 games that absolutely positively need an expansion all right so that's everything for this week until next time this is chris and this is anthony and we'll save you all a seat at the table Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.